Hello and welcome to another episode of the Detox Podcast, a culture and conversation podcast where you can detox from the world around you and get a window into how other people live their lives. Come detox with detox. I'm your host, Joe Shaw, and on today's episode, I had the pleasure of talking to author, poet, educator, Chris Barron. Chris is the award-winning author of two middle-grade novels in verse, All of Me and The Magical Imperfect. He's also a professor of English at San Diego City College and the director of the Writing Center. Chris has published numerous poems and articles in magazines and journals around the country, performed on radio programs, and participated in many readings, lectures, and panels. He grew up in New York City, but he completed his MFA in poetry in 98 at San Diego State University. Chris was fantastic. So when I recorded with Rajani LaRocca not too long ago, she recommended Chris as somebody that should come on the show, share his perspective, and talk about writing. And I cannot thank Rajani enough for recommending Chris. Chris was an absolute delight. I know you are going to enjoy him. But before we get there, I want to let you know that today's episode of the podcast is brought to you by Snuffy. Snuffy is a clothing brand about empowering you to show your weird unapologetically with bravery and confidence. 10% profit goes to LGBTQ plus organizations led by trans people of color. Shop online now at snuffy.co. That's snuffy, S-N-U-F-F-Y dot C-O. And the owner and operator of Snuffy is a good friend of the podcast, Nick Silvestri, who designed the Detox Podcast logos. Those of you who like the logo, want to go support them, go check it out, snuffy.co. And the podcast is also brought to you by Empire Toys. Nostalgia is something everyone loves, and Empire Toys in Keller, Texas is on nostalgia overload. With toys and action figures from the 70s, 80s, 90s, and today, Empire Toys is a one-stop shop for a trip down memory lane and a chance to reclaim what was once yours but likely sold at a garage sale. Check out Empire Toys on Facebook, Instagram, or at TheEmpireToys.com. Now, if this is your first time coming to the Detox Podcast, welcome. I hope you enjoy the episode, you enjoy the show, and you come back for more. If you are a repeat listener, welcome back. We really appreciate your dedication and hope that you're able to kick back, relax, and just detox from the world around you for the next little bit. Now, if you like the show and you want to go support it, there's a couple ways you can do that. First, you can go rate and review the podcast wherever you get it. Uh, Apple Podcasts is the popular destination, but anywhere you should be able to rate and review it. Uh, make sure and down subscribe and download the show so that way you never miss an episode. And be sure to share the episode and or the show with a friend. Word of mouth is the most popular way to get podcasts, listeners onto your show. Especially for independent podcasts such as this one. So really appreciate your support. And without further ado, my conversation with Chris will be right up after this. What's going on? My name is Joe Shaw, and I host the music podcast After the Encore. After the Encore is a long-form, career retrospective podcast that takes you behind the music of some of your favorite artists. Musicians like John Oates of Holland Oates, Chris Kirkpatrick of NSYNC, and Jarrett Reddick of Bowling for Soup, and many others. Each season of the podcast is themed around a different topic, like the boy bands of the 90s, badass women in music, or even artists that were featured on the TV show The Voice. I am committed to taking you deep inside an artist's mind to find out why they do what they do, what does music mean to them, and how do they quantify success. We tell 
an overarching story which will take you not only behind the music, but into the psyche of the artists themselves. After the Encore is a proud member of the Roberts Media Group podcast family. Check us out on any of your favorite podcast platforms today. Welcome back to the Detox Podcast. With me at this time, I'm super excited to talk to author extraordinaire, Mr. Chris Barron. Chris, how are you doing today? I am doing great. Thanks so much for having me. Of course. I'm excited to talk to you. So when we had Rajini on the podcast not too long ago, she sang your praises and her and I started chatting and talking. And she was like, you got to talk to this guy, Chris Barron. His work is absolutely fantastic. And of course, she was talking about the magical imperfect. And we're going to get into that. And I'm excited to talk about that. But here at the Detox Podcast, I do like to, to start off the episodes by asking a question to help set the tone of the episode. So Chris, I'll ask you, what are you currently doing? detoxing, I'm using air quotes here, detoxing from? Wow, that's just a minor question to ask. Right. To start things off. <laughs> it's huh? a little bit of a softball, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, what am I detoxing from? That's a good question. Um, local and global. Probably global is just world situations. Mm. Um, trying to, my wife told me something today that I thought was so interesting. It's like, we, don't, we have way more information than we really need in our village. Yeah. And so we've been talking a lot about that lately. And I think locally, you know, just getting ready for a new semester at work and detoxing from, you know, just rough relationships that really no one meant any harm. And so now we're kind of getting back into it and being collegial and familial again. And I'm looking forward to that. That's good. You brought up a really interesting point. I've never heard someone say it in such a way as you just put it, which is we have way more information than we need in this village, right? So in our yeah. in our immediate community, we have I mean, well, I would I think about you know, 90s uh, when I grew up, but then of course before that as well, you had the news that you had, you had local news and that was, and the newspaper, and that was pretty much your out, your, your, your window into what was going on, local, state, maybe some global if it pertained to what was going on, but that was about it. And now you can get any piece of information you want at the click of a button. And that's not always a good thing, right? <laughs> Totally. And it's, it's a strange collage, right? I mean, it's not just like one story, you read it, you gain some knowledge. It's like a story and then you're bombarded by another story. Yes. And it creates this strange narrative sometimes. Um, I think that's why I love books so much is because, you know, you get a book, it's a, it's a narrative that takes you through a journey. Right. And that's getting more and more rare. It's like being replaced by information at times, which creates a different kind of story. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I find myself... Um, I, I, my wife makes fun of me about this as well, but, um, in, in jest, but I, I often will have about two or three different books that I'm reading at any given time. And it's typically, yeah. there's one for fun. There's one that's non fiction that's informative. And then there's usually one that's kind of like a developmental idea. So usually two nonfiction, one fiction. Um, and it's just, the developmental aspects, like if it's a book about diversity and inclusion, or if it's a book about management, or if it's a book about something like that, it's helpful and it's informative, but it can be too much at times. So I try and shift 
shift into a different book. But it, when you're online and you're scrolling, it can be difficult to, oh, let me see what this next article is. You're pushing it to me. I want to read more and I want to read more and read more. And right. having the ability to just disconnect and pick up a book and, and have a defined start and end helps, I think, as we're starting to try and try and uh, set up these these. I, for lack of a better word, like almost safety guards for our for our mental state in some of these difficult times. I agree. And I, I think it's, you know, we have to practice it ourselves, especially then for our families, you know, like, like I've got young kids, I think about them a lot. Like what information are they getting? You, know, you can only monitor so much and, and what are the stories they're hearing? And it, it's, it's a lot. My, uh, <laughs> my daughter will ask from time to time about, uh, something that I know she's seen or taken in news wise, either, you know, at our house or at my in-laws or somewhere else. And I'm like, where are you, where are you asking these questions? I'm trying to think of an example and I'm, I'm blanking, but it was, it was something about like, what would we, Oh, this is what it was. This was a popular one about a year ago was what would we do if there's a fire? I'm like, I, who's talking about fires? What is this? And so we're just like, well, this is what we would do. And this is how we'd process. And this is what we would call. And she's like, okay, can we walk through it? And I'm just like, "Uh, okay. And it's like, you know, and, and then she was fine and we, and she felt at ease and everything was good, but it, it, it stuck with me the fact that she was processing all of this before she verbalized anything. And I, yeah. I worry at times about what is she not, or both of my kids, what are they not verbalizing that I can help with? Right. What is, what are they just working out that they're getting input from, from all of these different information sources? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. I, I think, you know, kids have a world of, of information and thoughts and, and feelings they don't share, mm-hmm. you know, and it's not because they're not great sharing kids. It's because they don't know how to process and they don't know that people want to hear it all the time and right. they don't know what to say. You know, yeah. I, I agree. There's a lot going on we have to pay attention to. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think being present, right, and how they're talking and the stories they're sharing and, and what they're picking up on gives us those clues that if we're kind of just going through our day, we can easily skip over. I think everyone's guilty of just like, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, wait, no, you're talking to me and you're, you're bringing stuff up and there's a reason behind this. And so I think we have to work at times as parents to kind of push through the, the noise and, and understand yeah. the, the crux of, of the question for sure. I'm only laughing. I, I, I'm chuckling because it's so true what you're yeah. saying and how, like I tell my friends who like, because my kids are, you know, what are they? They're 10, 13 and 15 now. Mm-hmm. Right. But I remember when they were much, much younger and I've never been so tired yes. in my life. And I, I, yes. I just, can re- I remember the tiredness, like a, like a, like a loving scar, you know, like <laughs> I remember it with great care and love and joy, but also like, wow, I was tired. Yes. And I remember yes. like scrapping for stories. Like, I really want to hear what you're thinking, but I, I can't focus. Can you say it again? You know, it's lost. Right. <laughs> yes. Yes. I can remember it. <laughs> and sometimes it's like, you know, I will say three critical pieces of information and now I'm going to like hum Beethoven's, you know, symphony over here for like 10 minutes. And then I'm going to circle back and give you three other pieces. And you're like, Oh wait, now we're back on the, now we're back on the story. Oh, okay. Got it. Let me, <laughs> let me refocus. And it's yeah. just, Oh, it's, it's brutal. But yes, 
But all of that, all of that is goodness. Well, I want to, on the subject of kids and on the subject of books, I want to talk about your background um, as an educator and then also writing these books, these wonderful books. So Magical, Imperfect, and All of Me. Uh, Walk me through your background in education and then how you got started writing and how those two work in conjunction with each other. Yeah, sure. Um, I mean, I, I just want to say this where I forget to, and then as kind of a springboard, but that's sure. one thing I love about writing books and I'll, I'll kind of reverse engineer this a little yeah. bit, but because I think stories give kids, especially, but definitely adults, I mean, definitely us, but like a chance to work through a whole narrative. Yes. You know, like the slow building, the, the, the ability to imagine what might happen and see it play out versus having an answer immediately. Yes. Um, is so valuable and often lost. And so that's, I'm saying that because I don't want to forget it, but also because I think that's an important part of story and why I write is a chance to do that. Cause I notice in my students too, that, you know, like a lack of attention span, that's not really their fault. Um, longer works are harder to read, although it's, it's switched a lot lately. Um, now more and more people are loving books again, but, but anyway, I, yeah, I've been a community college professor at San Diego city college for this is my 21st year. That's awesome. And I work at San Diego City College, one of the most diverse campuses in San Diego. I absolutely love it. I've learned so much from my students over the years. And I have just really, really fortunate. I, I'm also the director of the Reading Center there. And, you know, I, I, I finished grad school with an MFA in poetry. And I've always written and published poems. That's always been my goal. And then I also happen to love teaching so I can actually have a job. And that worked out well. So I I really love the academic life, um, you know, in doing that. And but I've always been writing through it and teaching creative writing. In 2012, I came out with a book called Lantern Tree, four books of poems through CityWorks Press, which was a collaboration with four other authors. And there's like four books in one. And that was a very I mean, I love that book and I love the heart that went into it. It was a very standard, like first book of poems. Mm -hmm. People call it, you know, poems for adults, but it's it's really, you know, um, a journey book. Um, my book was called Under the Broom Tree. It's all about, you know, growing up and identity and kind of standard themes. But when that book came out, I, I feel like my middle grade author life was born. And I guess I'll, I'll tell you about that really quick. I mean, yeah. I, I, <laughs> I was, I was got up on stage for the book release of this book, A Lantern Tree. And I was reading poems about a, a journey I'd taken to Israel and kind of coming to terms with you know, how I was raised in a bit of a Zionist household and how I believe that all people deserve love. And so I had gone on this very kind of sacred trip and a lot of the poems unpacked that journey. And I noticed the crowd was like, not mortified. That's not what it was, but it was like very deep poems one after another. Sure. And, you know, if you're in front of a crowd, you can tell like people are. Yeah. <laughs> Do you have any jokes? Yeah, 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 <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. So I was like, OK, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read a lighter poem. And the middle section of the book has funnier, lighter poems. And so I read one called First Kiss. And, and the start of that poem goes, fat kids don't have girlfriends. Friends, yes, but not kissing. And then it kind of went on into this whole discussion of like being in the back when you, you know, of a car and the girl pecking me on the cheek. And I read that poem and I looked out in the crowd and a good friend of mine who um, is a YA author, pretty well-known guy, um, he... I met his eyes in the crowd and then he came back to me out on stage after he's like, dude, you have to write middle grade books. And um, 
I don't want to name drop. I mean, I'll just say like, so that was Matt De La Pena, you know, oh, so awesome. I, I yeah. talked about this. So Matt grabbed me and, he, and we were friends in graduate school and played basketball together. And so we've been friends for a long time. And he grabbed me. He's like, you got to write middle grade books. I'm like, what are those? <laughs> I don't know what those are. But of course I did know what those were because middle grade books have saved my life. You know, like, yes, like I read Bridget Terabithia by Catherine Patterson. Yes. Yes. Right. I mean, that was like the first book that made it okay to be emotional. Yes. For a boy and a girl to be a friend, to be friends um, that broke norms that I felt seen by, Yeah, you know, and there were a lot of the books. So anyway, so I knew and he said, you got to read all these books. He gave me books by Jacqueline Woodson and a bunch of other books. And I discovered novels and verse. At the same time, I had my own kids who are middle graders and younger. And I just felt really in tune telling stories, writing stories with them. And it was like time, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, and then from there, it kind of took off. And, and uh, you know, I, I, I know for me, I um, what hit me really hard was I remember my middle school years so well. And so all of me was the first book and it came out of those years. Yeah. And it, it just came to me like a clear picture of like a kid who and, I, and this was really the L.A. Times called it a fictional retelling. I thought that was a great way to think about it. I like that. Because it's fiction. But but also I experienced a lot of what the main character already experiences. And so that book just came across as a June, July, and August between seventh and eighth grade, and it just took it. It just it just took on life from there. It's interesting to me the you talk about the ability to, for for kids to kind of work through some of these thoughts and not have the answer presented in front in front of them. And I was, I was having a conversation with my wife recently because we were, we were talking about the, the power that these books have and, and then the memories that stick with us as we're, as we're reading them. I recently, I had never read uh, wrinkle in time before. And I know it's a little bit different, oh, yeah. right? But, but I'd never read it before at all and I'm reading it and I'm struck by how, how deep and, and, yet very funny it is. And there's like all of these different levels of complexity. And it was one of her like favorite books and, and still sticks with her. And, and so these, these books are like, it's, it's like a perfect bridge um, for us as individuals, as we're growing and maturing, because it gives us the ability to have these journeys and, and read about these characters having these journeys and moments of self-discovery. And a lot of times they're set in the summer. And I remember the summer in my middle grade years and, and mm-hmm. how those were so important for my memories and development. And so it's, I, I think it, it's no wonder why it was so successful. But I love that idea of a fictional retelling of your life because I've never heard someone describe a book like, like this in that way. And I think that's incredible. Yeah, I mean, it was it was a great way for me to talk about the book because, you know, it's a story of Ari Rosenzweig, who's a kid who's te- teased and bullied his whole life about his about his weight, and then the summer of this time he decides to make a change, and that was really something that happened to me, um, and it, you know, just to take that angle, but then to explore, um, and, and I want to just connect that to Wrinkle in Time because, by the way, that book is so challenging, yeah, in a good way, right? Like it be- that book like believes in kids ability to figure things out. Yes. Yes. Right. Because when you read it, you, you, it feels dignified, like it complex, challenging. And I love that about it. Um, yes. 
And that's really inspiring for me as a writer because I want, and all of me, I think it's, you know, challenging at times. And that's what I like about novels in verse. That's why, you know, these two books, Magical and Perfect and All of Me are in verse because, you know, I think there's an intimacy there that allows, that gives space for kids to feel things and to process things. Yeah. And it gives that internal look, you know, like there's a lot going on inside. They can't always voice it, but, but the verse allows for the internal landscape to kind of brought forward. Yes. It's so interesting to me because I remember in, in intentionally choosing books written in verse when I was of this age. And there was something mm. that there was something um, beautiful to me that drew me to these these different books and works. Um, and I realized it, it, it allowed me it, this is going to sound probably not as clear as I intended to, but it was it was like <laughs> reading. It was the same feeling that I got when I would listen to music, but yet I was mm. reading it. And so it was like this this em emotional experience where I could lean into the words and the verse and, and feel heard and feel understood. And I think it was from this understanding in a lot of ways where I didn't necessarily need to fully figure out what was being said. I could just understand some of the metaphors and immerse myself in them. And, and I identified most when I was that age. And then it, it's been kind of, um, you know, at different times as I've gotten older, but specifically in that age, I continually came back to that. And I didn't put that together until I started reading about your works and reading about you. And I was like, this is the perfect age for this type of work, in my opinion. I love what you're saying. I mean, my poet heart is leaping, you know, like <laughs> that's exactly what you want for novels and verse, because I know, and I, other writers I know who write novels in verse, every word matters, every line matters. They're, that lyrical quality you're descri describing is meant to touch the heart. So much of poetry is created in a rhythm that's meant to mimic heartbeat. And yes. the contaminator does that, right? And, yes. and it's, it's not that the complex form has to be confusing for any reader. I think novels in verse are some of the clearest books to read. All the elements of fiction are there, plot, character, setting, point of view, conflict. It's all there. But I, I think it's done in a much, in, not in a much more careful way because every book is written this way. But I, I think poetry is meant to let you feel as you read and land on certain notes. So it affects you. Like the images evoke the emotions as much as possible in novels yes. and verse. And yes. I don't know. I really, I, you know, I, it's a form that's really powerful. And I think just one thing that I've noticed talking to so many kids now who have read my books, but all, all kinds of books is just, they re tend to read them fast. And there's this like really cool feeling of accomplishment. Like there's all this space on the page, but they still get the same impact. Yes. And it's fun to hear kids talk about that stuff, you know? Yeah. I like that. Let's shift a bit and talk about the magical right. imperfect. So after all of me, you wrote that, the fictional retelling, what was your motivation for wanting to write the magical imperfect? It's a good question. I, I'm still figuring out all of it because it's a book with so many layers mm -hmm. that I, I hope you don't mind being a little raw about it. Cause I, I'm sure. really still thinking, and it just came out in June. I'm thinking a lot about things like motivation, but I can tell you it kind of came with a series of pictures to start. Um, one of the pictures is, you know, I, I had a picture of my grandfather uh, in New York who uh, had a little jewelry shop, which means that he fixed watches, you know, not jewelry like diamonds, right. like, you know, yep. but like fixed watches. And 
you know, kind of all kinds. He was a jeweler in that sense uh, in, in Brooklyn. And, and I modeled the grandfather character after him. I learned that my grandparents came through Ellis Island. And then my wife's parents came from the Philippines and emigrated. Um, and so we had a family of immigrants. So I started learning all about that and like trying to imagine what it would be like to have to immigrate. This was a few years ago, but um, when, I, when I started this book, actually, you know, just imagining it. What would it be like to be an immigrant landing in our country now? Mm versus maybe what it would be like in, at different times and how you're seeking a, a safe haven. So, so I started to imagine this, this town, this town in the book called Shipshaven, where this very diverse community of immigrants came through Angel Island, which is sometimes known as the Ellis Island of the West, um, which I, I studied a lot um, about, all about that from um, this book called Angel Island Immigrant Gateway to America, Erica Lee and Judy Young. I, I always want to plug that book because it's a fantastic book all about Angel Island. Um, but and, and it dealt Angel Island dealt primarily with Chinese immigration um, through 1940. But there were like, you know, small groups of Filipinos and Jews fleeing the Holocaust and Russians. And I started to imagine like, what if these groups of people like settled in different parts of the Bay Area? And so that and so then I imagine Shipshaven where they were forced to get along. And, and maybe I was thinking utopian a little bit, like diverse people getting along right. and living the American dream right. um, with gratitude. And then I imagine what would their kids be like? And then, of course, what would their grandkids be like? Right. And then I ended up with Aton and Malia, who are the main characters of the story. Um. And then through a series of conversations I, I, with my wife about the World Series, the book becomes set in 89 against the backdrop of the, of the Giants and A's World Series. Right. And then, of course, the earthquake. And so it was like a series of pictures and images that all kind of came together to form the backdrop of this story. What do you want folks to take away after having read The Magical Imperfect? That's a good question. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I will say a little bit more about it and then, and then maybe answer that by saying, sure. so, so Aton is, is the main character and, you know, he's selectively mute um, because his mother had to leave to deal with her depression. And in the eighties, you know, that was something that was treated a little bit differently. Yeah. When she, when she left, he, he says, you know, maybe she took his words with her and he just didn't want to talk anymore. And one day he's asked to deliver groceries to the house at the end of Forest Road. And he meets Malia, who's a girl known as the creature. She's homeschooled because she has a really, really bad skin condition. And they become friends. And later on, Aton discovers that his grandfather carried a box full of magical stuff with him across the sea. And it's like this, you know, when he came through Angel Island and, and Aton discovers it, and that maybe there's a magical cure for his friend. And of course the story is all about, you know, the way ancient magic clashes with the modern world and doesn't even have a place anymore in the modern world. Like what does magic look like, yeah. you know, from an, from an ancient time into a modern world? Right. Does it work? Does it affect? And so, so there, there's a lot of things to take away here. And I, I would say that a lot of it has to do with empathy. I think empathy is always a big theme for what I write about. I want, I feel like, if we learn and read about, discover one another better, we will be able to have empathy toward each other. Yeah. And I think that's something 
you know, that the world needs. And I know I need in my own life. And the other thing is a sense of wonder about the world itself. A, a big thing that happens in the book is, you know, the Loma Prieta earthquake, which happened during the World Series. It's not a spoiler, it's history. Right. Um, but, you know, it's this idea of the world itself breaking apart, like as if things weren't hard enough for these kids. Right. The thing they stand on is breaking. And it's, you know, an incredible metaphor and a symbol. And, and so it, I want people to think about things like resilience and um, friendship as a means of of magic in itself and the sense of wonder. I like that. You know, it's, it, it's, you said something that was, that stuck with me and it was the, this idea of, of m magic, uh, clashing with what we have been told in Western society, um, is the way we do things. Right. And so I was thinking about, and this is, um, in the sense of, I feel like as as history has gone, we have we as a society have historically for forced people who have come into America to adapt to what we have had instead of welcoming everybody with however they are and embracing all of the different diversity of perspectives of situations of race. Um, and it reminded me of back in Pride Month, learning more and more about two-spirit folks and how um, with typically, I believe, with the Native Americans, folks had two spirits. And then when people came over to colonize, they said, this is weird. You have to one or the other. You can't live in this ambiguous space to them. And, and, and just this idea of we need you to assimilate to what we have deemed are the rules of society and you lose a lot of the magic and spiritual essence and wonderment of each individual person and society and culture when you do that. And so I think having that empathy factor in this book and having the perspective of this magic uh, being brought over is so powerful and, and is wonderful and, and we could stand to be talking a lot more about that, truthfully. I, I love what you're saying. And um, I wish we could talk more about it. I mean, I, I think that's so, so important to remember. And I mean, in the book, you know, there's a lot of that. It's these kids discovering that their grandparents have a cultural world that's been in exile in a sense. Right. And they had to trade some of it to be American. And it's not to downplay the goodness of, sure. of what the country brought them, but things that used to be important and valued become less important. And there's a cost and a consequence to that, that these, these grandkids see of their elders yeah. and it's, it's a measure of the sacred, you know, and, and for Eitan, it's his Jewish heritage that he's dealing with. And Malia is dealing with her, you know, Filipina heritage and the things that her parents and her, and her grandparents had to deal with. And, you know, for her, when she says to Eitan, I listen to the trees, they talk to me. For a second, he laughs and second guesses it. But of course, he's a kid. And so he's still able to go, oh, what do they say? Mm. Like, this could be true. Right. And so if there's magic clay, things are possible. And I think it opens the door to what you're saying to go back to a time and a place where the things you mentioned earlier are still possible. Yes. You know? Yes, definitely. And I think, you know, going back, tying it all back around to our discussion about listening to our kids. Um, yeah. 
and listening to what they're telling us, they're telling us their thoughts and their stories and what they hear and what they see and what they feel. And it can be so easy for us to be busy and distracted and just kind of glaze over it or yeah, 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 that's fine. And we're like, but this is the way things are done. We need you kids to assimilate to what we adults have deemed are the rules of society as far as this is the schedule we work, this is how we work, this is where we work. Um, But when we slow down and we have the ability to listen to our kids, to the trees, to whatever, then we start inviting more of that magic back into our life and it can be transformative. I think that is so important. And, and, and also, I would just add in elders, you know, mm-hmm. people with wisdom who have come before. I mean, it fits right into what you're saying. And I, I think as a parent, like even just hearing you say it now, I get chills because it reminds me to do it. Yeah. We need each other as parents, as a community yes. to remind each other of, you know, the sacred matter of parenting yep. and then layering that with our, you know, our backgrounds, where yes. we come from adds other layers. But putting kids at the center of that to remember that they need it. To, they need to be heard. Um, I just totally agree. I love it. This has been fantastic. We're going to wrap it up here in just a moment. Um, what I would say is the last question for now, um, before we bring it back around, what would be a piece of advice you would give somebody who might be thinking about wanting to get involved in writing more seriously, or perhaps they have a kid who expressed a lot of interest in writing and you and they want the parent wants to set them up for success? What's some advice you would want to give those individuals? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, if I heard you correctly, I mean, I think it's, you know, there's two answers I would give. One is the, the, the secret to writing is writing. <laughs> which I know sounds so like mean maybe, but I feel like doing the work is so key and, and it often gets stopped because we don't value it enough right? because it feels like it's going into a void, you know? And I, I and I know it's easier sometimes to write when you have a deadline or a project, but writing requires the work to do it. So do whatever it takes to, in, to get inspired. And then I think, valuing it and getting people around you will help you value it. Like maybe it's family or friends. So that leads into the next sort of thing, which is finding the people like Regina. Yeah, you mentioned Regina. I mean, she's a good friend. She's a confidant. We write together. We keep each other accountable. We need that in our lives to help us. And I, I think for kids and adults, like things like classes that value, you know, the voice of the writer are, are crucial. And there's so many good ones out there. Um, and of course, reading, reading as much as possible, because I, I think reading is, you know, right next to writing all the time. I love that. That's fantastic. Well, we are going to move on to the next part of the show, which is things to check out. So it's a part of the show where I provide a recommendation of something I'm either reading, listening to, or watching. And I ask my guests to do the same thing. So uh, recommendations that I have, um, definitely. So I uh, discovered this and I was super excited. I didn't, speaking of Rajani, she wrote the uh, little golden book about Kamala Harris. I did not know that yep. that was a thing. That was super awesome. Uh, I pre-ordered my copy. I'm very excited about it. So definitely recommend folks uh, go check that out. And if you are sitting here and you're uh, not listening, except for this episode and you go, who's Rajani? Go back in the archives, go listen. She's fantastic. Um, and then also on the subject of middle, uh, middle grade novels, uh, I had Kate Messner on the show previously, and we talked about her novel Chirp, which I absolutely love. Yeah. 
Yeah. It is fantastic. <laughs> and on the subject of like complex and serious topics being broken down and handled in ways in which kids can process and discuss these uh, difficult situations, there's parts of it that were based on the uh, Larry, uh, I believe it was Larry Nasser's name with the with the gymnastics um, situation. And so there's a similar type of situation in the book yeah. with the protagonist. And it's handled in such a skilled and delicate way that... I felt very comfortable for when my kids read it, being able to have this type of discussion with them about what does this mean? What are they talking about? How can we prevent these kinds of things from happening again? That kind of stuff. Super great. Um, I have to say, so the kids and I have been watching um, Marvel's What If on Disney+. Plus. So that's a little uh, plug yeah. for that. Uh, I know it's the second episode dropped today. When you're listening to this, there's probably more episodes out. Um, but <laughs> uh, but I definitely recommend that. It's it's a good it's a good time. I enjoyed the What If books when they came out several years ago. And so the, the TV show does not disappoint. So, uh, Chris, what are you reading, watching, or, and or listening to? Oh, I love this question. Um, I Well... We're definitely watching all the Marvel shows. I think we did, me and the kids and my wife, we did a Marvel marathon. Oh, yes. um, we watched all the movies because the kids are finally kind of old enough to, you know, hide their eyes at parts, but all good. Right. And we've been watching all the Marvel series and that's been helpful through the pandemic times right. to, to get together and spend a lot of quality time doing that and, and talk about issues coming up. There's so many um, yeah. there, you know, just to go through and for reading, um, Gosh, so many books all at the same time. I, I would just recommend. Um, so I, Jessica Redman is a fantastic middle grade author. And her newest book is The Adventure Is Now. And it's a very timely book. My 10-year-old uh, absolutely loved it. Um, she's also starting to read Josh Levy's books, which uh, Seventh Grade um, versus the Galaxy is his book. Uh, you might really like that. <laughs> it is a very fun and lighthearted and absolutely like super witty book. And the sequel is coming out called Eighth Grade versus the Machines, all about PS 118, which is a public school in space, which there's a lot of mayhem that ensues. It's very fun book to read. I um, love that. Always pump up those books whenever I can. So we just, you know, that's one thing about being an author is there's lots of books on the table. Um <laughs> all the time. So those are the ones that came to mind right now. That's perfect. Well, this has been fantastic. We're going to go now to the final part of the show. It's the dad joke of the week. It's a segment where I hurl dad jokes at my unsuspecting guest in an attempt to get them to laugh while the audience groans, but I can't hear the audience. I can only hear my guests. So it works out for me, but I'd like to put my guest on the spot first. Chris, do you have any jokes that you would like to offer up today? Oh my gosh. I am not the joke person. <laughs> You In, caught me on the spot. I, I don't know. Oh my gosh. It's all good. I've got, I've got three that I'll, I'll hit you with. So okay. first of all, Chris, what do a tick and the Eiffel tower have in common? What? They're both Paris sites, Paris sites, Paris site. <laughs> yeah. All right. All right. I, see, I'm weak. I already laughed. So <laughs> you already won. Well, how do you, how do you make a waterbed bouncier? <laughs> Use spring water. Spring. Mm. All right, all right, all right. Yeah, last one, last one, last yeah. one. Okay, all right, all right. How much did the pirate pay to get his ears pierced? I feel like I should know this. Okay, tell me. About a buccaneer? A buccaneer, uh, of course. A buccaneer. Yeah. <laughs> all right, well, Chris, if people want to follow you and see what you're up to, what's the best way for them to do that? Oh, good question. Um, absolutely, my website, um, 
is, you know, chris-baron.com. That's probably the easiest. And uh, on Twitter, Baron, Chris Baron. Um, Instagram, Chris the Bear Baron. Real easy to find me there. And, you know, I, I post regularly and stay involved in the community. And also one thing that I've, you know, I think maybe it's because I've been an educator for a long time, but I feel really deeply committed to community. So please reach out to me, anyone, anytime. If I've been doing school visits and events and stuff like that. I love talking about books. Um, so I'm pretty available. This is awesome. Well, Chris, thank you so much for coming on the show today. It's been an absolute delight for me, and I cannot wait to have you back on the show. I sincerely look forward to it. Thank you so much. This was a blast. You're welcome, Chris. Well, listeners, you've been detoxing with detox. Now go and make a more inclusive world. If you know of an interesting person or story that needs to be told, please reach out to me at detoxpodcast at gmail.com. That's D-T-A-L-K-S podcast at gmail.com. You can also reach out via Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Detox Podcast, or visit DetoxPodcast.com. Also, be sure to leave us a five-star rating on iTunes if you like the show. It only takes a few seconds and it really helps us out. Link is in the show notes. Finally, thanks for listening. Please come back next week when we'll have another interesting conversation. And special thanks to my producers, Ben Lawant and Galan Aldaco. Without your help and support, this show wouldn't be possible. Thanks so much, guys. Detox is a production of Vocal. For more information and more programming, please visit vocalnow.com. That's V-O-K-A-L-N-O-W.com.